Some of you do, I know. I think that might be my favorite hymn. Me too. You too, Adam? Yeah. Nice. Anybody else? Favorite? Oh. Makes me think of Marianne Mormon. Does it? Yeah, it was one of the first hymns that I learned. That one was? Back when, yeah, back when she uh, sat by my side. Really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome, Adam. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. The text I'd like to read with you today is from the book of Exodus. Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. We're going to take a closer look at this text uh, throughout my message, but uh, we'll just read it as a whole to start. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely, and they have been quick to turn aside from the way that I have commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster upon your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised will give you, give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring to his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Several weeks ago, I was reading an article by one of my most trusted uh, authors. He's also a pastor. He as a podcast for Christian leaders to try and help them navigate just about anything that you can think of. And he said on a particularly hard day that I was having, he said, crisis reveals character. <laughs> I, thought, I actually said out loud, that's not helping here, man. <laughs> that, that is not something, somebody that's having a hard time and knows that others can see it does not want to hear that. (laughs) But I knew it was true. And I wish that it weren't true. On some level, it's not, actually, because crisis and hardship and disruption from our day-to-day lives reveals not just our character, but our weak spots. Like how we respond to or what we turn to in times of difficulty. 
And so in a crisis, we see the, the worst of what we could experience and then what's really there deep down inside. And most of us probably wouldn't enter into that space unless it were for a crisis. You get a sense of what it's like in my house right now. <laughs> a crisis is actually what Moses was about to experience. He's up on Mount Sinai with the Lord. And almost immediately after he goes up to meet with the Lord and hear more of what the Lord has to say, he'd already received the Ten Commandments. God tells him that the people that the Lord had led out of Israel and they went on this remarkable journey, now the people have made this false God. And not only do they make the God and they're worshiping it and sacrificing to it, they actually are giving credit to that idol for what God had done. Now, as a leader, which Moses was clearly a leader, that is a crisis. <laughs> like, well, what are we actually doing here? What's going on? And you get a sense of how upset the Lord is. He says to Moses, go down at once. Go down immediately and deal with these people. And the Lord has disowned the Israelites at this point. He says, your people, Moses. And in other points before this, the Lord had taken full credit and said, this is my people. These are the ones I love and I cherish. But the Lord is so disappointed by their unfaithfulness. And he says, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, Moses, they've acted perversely. And he describes what they've done. What's amazing as we see, as we walk through this text and you read the details of what the Israelites have done, that's not quite as important as Moses' response to what God has said. Because did you notice in this, this part, maybe, you need to, maybe I should read it again. The Lord says, Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. So that's one part of what God says he's going to do. The people who have been unfaithful and who have really disobeyed uh, Moses' leadership, God says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm done with them. I'm going to wipe them out. And of you, Moses, I will make a great nation. Think about the temptation in that moment for Moses. If you've ever had someone who's slighted you or maybe you're actually very angry with or upset with, and God says, I'm going to take them out of the picture completely. Maybe for you it's not saying, I want God to wipe them out, but I'll never have to see them again. They're out of my life. And on top of that, I'm going to bless you like crazy. All the promises of God are going to be fulfilled in you. Is there any one of us who could then say, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that is quite the moment. And Moses' initial response to what God has said is a desire for God's character and purpose to be known, not his own welfare or his own dreams. It's pretty amazing, actually. Moses demonstrates to us this posture of surrender to God's will and purpose and a desire for God's true character to be known to others. This is what Moses says to God. He implores him on, in three different, on three different counts. Oh God, why, should, why does your wrath burn against your people? Puts the, he puts the uh, responsibility back on God. No, God, these are your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power 
and with a mighty hand. And Moses says, I, I'm concerned about what other people are going to think about you, the one true God. I'm not so concerned about what people think of me. God, I'm concerned about what they would say to you. He says, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, Lord, and change your mind, and do not bring disaster upon your people. Again, it's important to notice that Moses' primary concern here is not anything about himself, but rather how God, his God, would be perceived, what people would say. And then when it comes to the covenant, to the promise that God had made to just Moses, he says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, and how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is an amazing posture of surrender that we see from Moses. And now there are difficult things that happen within this text. If you continue to read, Moses actually goes down the mountain and carries out, he, he issues an order for people who were directly responsible for the golden calf to be killed. And there's questions about, well, was that Moses' response or was that something that God tells him? But in this, in this primary moment, Moses had two futures before him, one that he was the center of and one that God was the center of. God's purpose, God's character, and Moses implored the Lord for God's character and purposes to be known to the nations, most specifically to the Egyptians. God, why should the Egyptians say that you're not a loving God who cares for his people, who wants to be known by all the nations. This is a posture of surrender to God's purpose. It's a similar posture that we see with Jesus. Do you remember him being tempted in the wilderness? And quite literally, Jesus is up on the point and, and, the, and Satan says to him, look, all of this can be yours. It's very similar to, of you I'm going to make a great nation. You'll have everything that you want. And Jesus quotes scripture and says, no, that is not God's purposes. That's not God's plan. That doesn't reveal God's character. That's not why I'm here. And we see that again later with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's imploring the Lord, Lord I don't want this pain. I don't want this suffering, but ultimately let your will be done. And that's, oh, by the way, how he teaches us to pray. Is it not? Your will be done. Our narrative today demonstrates to us the importance of praying on behalf of the people that we might not have to or that we really don't want to and that God's desire is for us to pray not for really for anything for ourselves but that his purposes and character would be known among the nations. Notice that after Moses prays this, imploring God to let God's purpose and character be known this is what we read. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring to his people. Now what's really interesting to think about is was the Lord really even serious about that plan? 
Or was he just giving Moses an opportunity to realize the importance of praying for people, even when they disappoint you, or they become your enemies, or whatever uh, Moses might have been thinking? So friends, today, I think when we find ourselves in hardship or crisis, it's safe for us to conclude that God's desire for us is that we would be most concerned about revealing God's purposes in the world and showing others the character of God. We talk about this all the time, this aspect of Christ-like character. Crisis reveals character, right? Growing in Christ-like character always involves laying down the opportunity to better ourselves in the way that we see with Moses, in the way that we see with Jesus, laying down an opportunity to better ourselves for the sake of the opportunity to reveal Christ to others. And this is a posture, again, of surrender, which when we're living in the space of surrender to God, to God's purposes, to God's character, that actually opens us up more to peace because we don't feel the responsibility of figuring out the world's problems. We're dealing with situations that seem far too big for our, our own self, which most of them do uh, these days. But this process of growing in Christ-like character is a journey that we must take if we want to follow Christ, which is the whole purpose that Jesus gives us as Christians, is to follow him and to become like him, to grow in his likeness. But we can't do that without having our weaknesses exposed. So yes, it's true that crisis reveals character. Crisis reveals our weaknesses, and we need that to happen because it helps us to see where we can grow. We need our life circumstances to reveal what's really there. Because I can tell you honestly, I don't show my, the ugliness that lives within my heart on my good days. <laughs> when things are going my way or when I'm with people who agree with me and like me. I would never show the, the darkness that's within my heart, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And crisis reveals that truth of what's really there, of how we can grow. This is what Paul says about his weaknesses. You'll recognize this text. Paul talks about his weaknesses and he says, three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, that I could be done with this. But he said to me, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know about you, but this past year has been pretty hard. I know that I've seen things about myself that I don't like. Perhaps you've seen things about me that you don't like. I'm not proud of how I've responded to the circumstances of our times. But that's been a journey of helping me to see 
that these are actually opportunities for the Holy Spirit to teach me the ways that I can grow more into Christ-likeness. And so I look back on the last year, at least in terms of my personal experience, and say, Lord, I would do it again. Because I now see the things that weren't aligned with your purpose and your character, and I want to live fully for you, God. To live and surrender to you and to reveal your purposes, to reveal your character to others. It wouldn't have been possible without hardship. Not possible. But it's important as we navigate these difficult times to realize that we are loved and forgiven and that Christ lives within us. And now, friends, I see it as more important than ever that when the next crisis comes, which it will, People would not see my character or my passions or my ideas or my gifts or any of that. But instead, they would look upon me and see and experience the character of Christ. So what about you? What has the Lord revealed to you in this last year or months or whatever? Who or what do you turn to for your most desired future? That's really what we're talking about here, is that Moses said, I don't want my future to be about me. I want it to be about you, God. And so whatever we turn to to bring about the future that we desire most is most likely to be our hidden idol. It can be as small as our phone, but we think it's something that can bring about the outcomes that we're hoping for, or it can be as big as the, uh, the spectrum of politics, of turning to that and thinking that that will bring about our desired future. But today we see that Moses demonstrated that he hadn't succumbed to the idols like the rest of the Israelites. In that moment of truth, he expressed his desire for God's future to be realized for God's character to be known. A future that was and still is much bigger than himself. Crisis reveals character. It can't be true. It's painful to hear. But it's also a gift. Because it shows us our weakness. And it reveals to us who or what we turn to when we're having a hard time to bring about our desired future. We turn to whatever it is in those moments. I pray, friends, that we as a church would allow hardship and even crisis to expose our weaknesses so that we can see how we can grow into Christ-like character. And if we take upon this posture of surrender, knowing that we are loved by God and one another, then the next time that we experience crisis or hardship, our desire will be for God's purposes and God's character to be revealed through us. Amen.
as we uh, re respond or reflect upon this 